The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, our guest is Stephen Joseph. He is co-author of Leadership Agility, Five Levels of Mastery for Anticipating and Initiating Change. He's creator and author of the innovative online learning project, Dragons at Work. Now, Dragons at Work is a fictionalized leadership case study and presented in story form, revealing the evolution of a successful executive. We're going to find out more about that as we talk. Stephen's path is truly a deep evolution of his own, including formal education, life in an ashram, Today, he incorporates various mind-body disciplines into his executive coaching practice when he isn't playing classical guitar. Well, Stephen, welcome to Leading Conversations this morning. Oh, it's great to be here, Cheryl. It's good to have you here. Now, where are you today? Today, I am in Nevada, California, which is north of the Golden Gate Bridge, um, about maybe 25 minutes or so, almost in Sonoma County. Oh, nice. So you're close to wine country, close to the hustle and bustle of San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Best of both worlds. It's beautiful here. Oh, yeah. So thanks, Stephen, for really, for joining us here on Leading Conversations. Your story is so intriguing to me, and you have become so successful in your work of helping individuals to truly find who they are in bring them alive, and, and I know that our listeners want to hear a lot about what you do and how you do it. Where I'd like to start, though, is why you even care about this work? Why does it matter to you? Yeah, well, I think it matters. You know, I grew up in a family where business was, uh, was very prominent. My father was a, a wholesale liquor distributor. And before that, in my grandfather's time, uh, they were bootleggers. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, they knew how to, how to do business. <laughs> yes, they do. And, uh, you know, so I grew up working in my father's place and listening to his stories about business. And I, I was always kind of meant to take over that business. But at the same time, I really loved music. And I, I've been playing uh music since I was about four years old, and uh, so that was a big thing, and I thought I wanted to be a classical guitarist, and I also thought, um, you know, when I was about 20 or so, I got really involved in mind-body disciplines, and for the past 47 years, uh, you know, I've had a daily practice of at least a couple of hours a day of those things, and I'm talking about Aikido and yoga and Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation and, and the rest of that. And I, I know that you know when you have 
lots of different interests. It can be uh, sometimes uncomfortable on your career path mm-hmm. because you always feel like you're abandoning one of them when you pay attention really hard to uh, the one that's in front of you. But um, luckily for me, there is a, a synthesis at the end, and, and uh, so now I think I enjoy all those things. Uh, well, I, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's, it's the integration part. When I got my doctorate, I got it in, uh, it was called the Department of Aesthetics, and we talked about how to teach things through art, music, drama, and dance, and, and what that meant, and and the word aesthetic means of the senses, and uh, one way to think of the antonym, the word with the exact opposite meaning is uh, anesthetic. Oh, Right. So the idea is how you get people to wake up and, you know, when you, when you hear, I was just thinking that expression the other day, you know, uh, people calling themselves like I'm just a working stiff. Oh, wow. Uh, um, so not only are you numb, but you're rigid. <laughs> and that's... Uh, and we know many... What is that? We know many people like that. We do. And yeah. we can fall into it ourselves if we don't watch out. So... Uh, um, you, you know, my passion has been uh, how do we make work a friendly place where your natural gifts are somehow used uh, in a way that uh, con- contributes to the company's profitability as well as, as develops you. Because we spend so much time working, you know, it, it might as well develop us. It's not just for, uh, for the money. Well, and it's not just for the money of the organization either, which which I think many people have resigned themselves to. You now that's what it's really about, right? And and so the idea that with intention, people and thus organizations can make work a friendly place where people are nourished and fed and their spirit can soar. Uh, wow, you know. Talk about that. How often do you see that? Do I see that? Yeah. Well, you know, the, um, the best, sometimes there are cultures that are really like that, and, and uh, that's when you get, uh, you know, the, the top executives that really have bought into the idea that if you have a culture that supports everybody in that way, uh, then it's, you know, it's going to be a great place to work. You're going to attract the best talent. And, you know, you still have to, I mean, you especially have to pay attention to profitability. And, and each person has to know the levers of profitability that are, are sort of within their, their reach and their sphere. Um, but often what you'll find is within a culture there's someone, say, in a leadership development program who they really want to develop themselves, um, when Bill Joyner and I wrote Leadership Agility, what we were showing is that as people, we're showing a map of how people mature uh, in leadership roles. And uh, at the very uh, top end of that um, scale, you get people uh, who really have achieved a balance. And uh, they, you know, they... They think about negotiations differently. They think about how they contribute to the strategy differently. It's a whole different scene. 
So maybe we can talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get into that conversation, especially because the I believe the definition of a balance um, is misinterpreted often. People think balance means X amount of hours at work, X amount of hours um, with family, X amount of hours of recreation. My guess is you don't see it that way, and I know I don't. So, Yeah. Well, how do you see it? Well, you know, I, I think that it has a whole lot to do with connecting to one's purpose and what gives one life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so let's go back before we get into that. Let, let's go back to how your own path developed. As um, you know, I've gotten to know you some through our transformational leadership council that we are both privileged to be part of. Um, you know, I've learned that you had some of your own spiritual development as a young person. Um, and actually started an ashram. How yeah. Did, how, did yeah. how did you get to that? <laughs> well, you know, I think I got to that because I was totally miserable. I, I, I think I, I started studying yoga because it was the only thing that uh, gave me some kind of sense of equanimity um, when I was feeling particularly uh, upset and troubled. And I also started doing yoga because... I heard that the famous violinist Yehudi Menuhin used to uh, stand on his head before uh, he gave concerts. And so I thought, well, that that would be good for me. You know, I I could learn how to just kind of calm down. And uh, and then yoga actually did a lot for me. And then I I started an ashram uh, and lived in it for... 12 years. So um, for people who don't know what an ashram is, that's a, you know, a, an intentional community where as part of our, our discipline, we did yoga every day and we also went out and you know, had a, a garden that we maintained, but, uh, but we also had jobs and went out and did that kind of thing. And so every morning we get up at 3 o'clock and take a cold shower. I'm sort of smiling as I say this now. <laughs> and then we would do like two and a half hours of yoga. And um, I did that kind of yoga for about uh, 12 years. And, uh, you know, it made a big difference in my life. Was it a particular type of yoga? Well, that was uh, kundalini yoga, which I, I now have come to think of as combat yoga. Combat <laughs> it's, yoga. <laughs> it's really, it, yeah, it requires a lot of uh, strength and breathing and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, it's it's funny. I, I switched, 30 years ago, I switched to doing uh, more kind of Taoist practices, which are a lot kinder on the body. Yeah. And uh, uh, so those are things like Qigong and, and Tai Chi and um, things that are much more uh, flowing. And not so interested in generating huge amounts of energy, but rather circulating them and cultivating energy. Uh, much more sustainable for me, for my body. Man, after my own heart, I'm right there with you. Yeah. 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 And the power, the power in that kind of work, I believe, in terms of the Taoist movement, Qigong and Tai Chi and sitting meditations. 
Now, it's really all about presence. It's really all about where you are in the moment, letting arise what wants to come. And, and when I, what I find for myself is that when I am in that state, I am able to attract more what I'm saying I want. Yeah. Well, yes, you are. And the other thing is... Um, you're much more available to the emerging opportunities because when you're desperate, <laughs> either you grab them too hard or you miss something that could be good. And so that gets back to somebody who's also a mutual friend of ours, who uh, uh, Mark McCurgo, with yeah. his uh, solution focus. You know, it's a much more balanced way of walking through your life. Absolutely. And, uh, what I'm, well, a lot of my work is about uh, helping people achieve uh, much more success than they even thought they could get, but much with a lot less friction in it. So um, I remember, you know, I, I went to lunch with a guy one time, and he was telling me that no matter what organization he joined, and this is a very successful business guy, that he'd join all these nonprofits, and within a year he was always um, he was always president of that nonprofit, and he wanted to know why. And I was way back then I was into NLP, so I asked him this question, which was, okay, just imagine that you're going to go meet people that uh, they, in an organization that you're joining, you're meeting them for the first time, what do you do? And he looked up and left for a moment, and then he, he said, well, I just walk in, and I hand him my business card, and I, I shake hands, and I, I find out who they are, etc." And I said, you know, you looked up left just before you said that. I, I wonder if you could look up there now and, and tell me, is there anything that you see there? And he looked up to the left, and he said, oh, my God, there's, there's a picture of my father. And we're a <laughs> We're living in Lebanon, and we're, he's dying because we don't have enough uh, money for medicine. And then uh, I said, so if you wrote something underneath that picture that captured its meaning for you, a caption, you know, what would that be? And he said, this will never happen to me. And uh, a lot of people who become leaders are driven by something, you know, and that something isn't always so pleasant. And they get to a point in their career where they find out that, uh, you know, they, got a, they acquired a lot of skills because they were driven by that thing, and they're good skills, but they don't have to run on that same juice anymore. You know, I used to ask my father uh, how he became successful, and he said, you know, we just started running scared, and we never stopped. Wow. But the but the idea of of um, being able to run without on a different kind of fuel is what I'm interested in uh, helping people achieve. So it it sounds like that even without realizing it or, or being overt about it, the patterns of behavior get passed through generations or through. Experiences and we acquire them and don't even know that. Yeah. 
I think so. And, you know, in that case is a, is a great example of that because we're uh, moved so much by these images and feelings that are outside of our consciousness, but we've just learned that that's uh, kind of like the substrate we operate in all the time. And so I imagine that having, in some of your work, being able to help people feel that back, does it always happen as easily as it did with this guy while you were sitting at the lunch table? No, it doesn't. I think uh, some people are very uh, kind of like tuned in to little messages from their unconscious and they're, they're available to them. But, um, but no matter who it is, it's actually fairly easy to orient them back to find those things. And, of course, we're not doing... Psychotherapy, the idea isn't to process that stuff deeply, but it's to, uh, in making it conscious, sometimes it allows people to make a choice. Okay, that's one way uh, of running at this. What's, what's a way, and then teach them ways that have a lot less tension and physically less tension, uh, uh, even the energy in their body uh, from doing Qigong is, is so plentiful and even that, uh, going into a negotiation, say, or a tough meeting, it's it's easy to keep that equanimity. Well, I I feel like we are kindred spirits. Um, the intention with which you do your work and the resulting effect upon individuals and within individuals is palpable. And that this is where real change happens. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, I also believe that, um, you know, that what I've been doing lately for a research project, and we can talk more about this in the next segment, but I, I, um, I've been asking people what kinds of things they drew on personally as resources to meet tremendous challenges. Um, because... You know, sometimes you get lucky and business is great and economic conditions are fantastic and the competitive landscape, you know, there's nobody who's really, uh, you know, uh, sort of barking at your heels or anything. And, and, you know, all this conspires to make you look like a genius, um, but it can go the other way, too, and you can get perfect storms that are not so great. And at that point, it's, you know, having these personal resources you can draw on um, allows you to succeed. And, but these resources are things that you can't build um, in the moment. You know, the, there's this old saying that the best time to plant the tree is 20 years ago, <laughs> and then the second best time is today. And so um, what I like to do when I'm coaching people is I like to, to take a... Um, you know, a synoptic look uh, through an assessment I've been developing along with this research to, to just kind of take a look under the hood and see uh, how strong they are in these various ways and then make sure that they're developed in those ways that they want to anyway because not only is it protection, but it leads to tremendous fulfillment. And I think that's what all this is about. That's what all this is about. We have more to talk about with Stephen Josephs when we come right back. 
find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel or listen on demand to our archived shows. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and our guest today is Stephen Josephs, co-author of Leadership Agility, Five Levels of Mastery for Anticipating and Initiating Change. So, Stephen, you often ask a question I find pretty interesting. You ask organizations, people in organizations, are your brightest people holding your company back? What do you mean by that? Well, I think... You know, if you ask yourself that question and go into your own history with people, you can meet people um, who are technically brilliant, and often they can be key people in the organization, and a lot of people feel like they're indispensable. You know, and if they lost that person, oh, my God, they're they're holding all the uh, sort of like technical uh, secrets and the history of the product and et cetera, et cetera. But the way they manage people is atrocious. And um, they cause, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage from them. They make, make it not such a great work environment. And often, getting back to leadership agility, they are at the expert level of um, development. And what that means is that their sense of self uh, comes from being able to display to other people that they know stuff. And that makes it hard for them to delegate things and hard for them to let other people learn on the job because there's only one right way of doing things and they know what it is. So they'll just tell you. And if you don't do it well, they might end up doing it themselves. So they don't build any bench strength under them. And uh, they can be miserable to work for. And so things, e- even though they push hard and they work tremendously hard themselves, uh, they create so much friction in the machine, it just slows everything down. 
Right, right. And it doesn't inspire others to do their best work or to provide their best ideas or innovation. Yes, right. Because if it isn't invented by the top guy, often it's not recognized. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I like the way you've captured what your interests are in your career. As I was reading about you, you identify these three areas. What accounts for superior performance? What principles are at work when we easily learn and change? And how do we become wise? So let's start with the last question. How do we become wise? (laughs) Um, You know, I think most people would say uh, from making mistakes, etc. But I think it's the way that we handle uh, what comes through to us and, and the way that we're, you know, what it is that, we can mentally and emotionally and energetically encompass in our minds. Um, And a lot of it has to do with can we put ourselves in the shoes of others and can we see the whole system synoptically, you know, as from above and see the whole thing, including us. So some people um, can be in a system and behave like martyrs. You know, they, they, they know what it, it's like. They want to keep the system working, and they sacrifice themselves. Right. And that's, and that's because they don't see themselves as an element of the system, and therefore their solution to it of sacrificing themselves makes it not sustainable. But, you know, for some reason they, they thought they would do that. And uh, so, so just to clarify, so when you say they don't see themselves as part of the system, what they also don't understand is that their sacrificing themselves is actually sacrificing part of the system. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, of course, we get to all this by bumping our noses into things and, you know, sitting down and uh, reflecting. And um, what's nice to be able to have is a clear space for reflection, one that's not um, influenced by some of those, uh, you know, unconscious forces that are, are pushing us around, but how to, how to cleanse our intentions and, and clarify our awareness. And, um, you know, th- those, that's really at the heart of it is, uh, you know, to... Use your awareness. M- most people that we interviewed who were at the very top levels, or, or I would say about half of them, um, did some kind of practice that, um, that worked with their attention. And, um, you know, that really makes people uh, humble, actually. It starts to... Um, it starts to erode that sense of, you know, it's all about me. So, for instance, we talked about the expert who thinks that they, they, their sense of self is based on displaying knowledge and competency. And then at the next level, uh, the achiever, they, they, they want to be known for having led the charge. Right. But when, but when you get beyond that to, say, the catalyst stage where it's much more about creating a work environment where people actually, um, uh, 
where you can listen to other people and you don't necessarily have to be right anymore. It takes a tremendous uh, burden off the self. But those kinds of evolving into that way of being uh, takes a little time. And, right. And only, you know, from our research, we figured 10% of the people roaming the halls of corporate America are at that stage or above. Well, you know, it makes me think of um, the phrase, with age comes wisdom. Uh-huh. And um, and so, and I find that a lot of executives who move into their late 40s, 50s, begin to ask the question, is there a better way yes. than what, the way I'm doing things? And what I'm wondering is, how do help generations that is in their 20s um, who are approaching work you know, very much the way the culture wants them to approach work, which is being hard driving, which is um, you know, full speed ahead, which is not necessarily with a lot of mindfulness, um, very goal-oriented. How do we help them or how, how do we get them, or not maybe we, but how do they get to the place where they don't have to wait till their 40s and 50s and then turn around and say, gee, you know, yeah, that was a lot of work and we had a lot of, quote, success, and is, that, is this all there is? Right, right. So I think, I mean, you know, most of the time I think that, that people do things in a way that is uncharacteristic of, of the way they normally operate only when they smack their heads into a wall and um, that's not only it, but um, something has to get their attention. Whether it's sometimes it's the desire to to be wise, because sometimes that can emerge. You know, people have that awareness in their twenties. Um, but some way, it's it, it, for them. It's the same thing. They have to find a place where they can clear a space mentally and physically. Um, the appeal is a little bit different. Uh, you know, it has to be packaged a little bit differently. Um, but that's why I like Qigong so much, because it, uh, it provides such an immediate experience of vitality. And because they have so much vitality any, anyway, it's just a, it's a pretty heady experience for them. So it's, it's kind of fun. And, and um, it'll help them be better... In sports, they'll be better runners. They'll be better tennis players, better golfers. You know, and and sometimes that's a way. You know, they can. Uh, you know, even in something like putting, or maybe they run into something like, okay, I have to do this negotiation, or I have to make a presentation, and I'm a little bit nervous. So it's it's always something that they. They need to, they, they, they have to want to do something better yeah. uh, often on the doing side of it. And then there are some rare people who are just uh, born on that track where they, they gravitate towards wisdom and, uh, you know, they just light up when they find it. Yeah, yeah and, you know, what I, what I know about the um, driving corporate culture, whether it's you know, the 
American corporate culture or it is the uh, global corporate culture, which is becoming more like American corporate culture. Uh, the the whole sense of um, sacrificing yourself that you were mentioning earlier it becomes like a virtue. Yeah, it's a virtue to do that. And and now hear these little stories about on people's deathbeds. No one says, "I wish I had worked harder at <laughs> corporation." Or I wish I had um, hung out more in boardrooms or any of that, right? Right. And so what is it about our culture? How is it we have gotten to the point where work so defines who we are and so values our, really, this is what creates a value in our being, is the work. How did we get here? Yeah. I don't know how we got here. You know, there's a question I, I like to ask clients, though, which is um, uh, J.L. Moreno, who was the guy who invented uh, psychodrama. He was a Vietnamese psychiatrist, and he had this idea, which I find very, very useful, about our roles. So we have roles at work, you know, and we have various things within our job description that are roles. So we may sell something, we may deliver something, we may, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he had this statement that the self emerges through roles. In other words, every time we're in a role, you know, usually we're interacting with somebody else in some way. So there's a reciprocal role. And the demands back and forth between your role and the other person are going to draw out, they can serve to draw out the best in you. And so if your role is operating that way and it provides enough challenge for, for you to just pull out the best, then that's a great role for you. You know, it helps you develop your natural gifts. It helps you um, uh, become more of the person that you want to be. You know, that's all great. But sometimes uh, it can be the opposite. It can be that the self is submerged in roles. And so that this uh, self, you know, that continues to evolve as you mature uh, is getting submerged because the role that you're engaged in uh, doesn't draw on enough of you. As a matter of fact, you may have role fatigue, meaning you've been doing the same old stuff and you're chosen for the same old activities again and again and again so that you're just burned out and uh, sort of bored with it, and it can even let you get cynical. So the real trick is to gravitate towards roles that are going to pull the best out of you. And there's a a cartoon in The New Yorker that I really love, which shows this this, uh, mother. She's standing in the doorway, and in front of her is uh, her her son, who is uh, lifting a barbell over his head. And she says... Uh, oh dear, let me help you with that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah, it is great because, you know, the trick in development always is, you know, you want the right mixture of support and challenge. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes um, the balance isn't right. And some of the support that people can get when they're young is 
is to know about that, to hear conversations like that, and to then ask them the question, where do you want to end up? You know, when I used to teach delinquent kids, I mean, I would ask them, so how come you stole, stole that, uh, in this one case, a uh, Chris Craft boat that was sitting in uh, the Boston Harbor? <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this kid stole it. And, and I asked him why. He said the keys was in it. Oh, wow. So uh, not too much thought went into that one. Just a moment of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. um, because there was, because he didn't have in his head a little board of directors um, that he could refer to. You know, he um, there was nobody who had cared about him or mentored him. And if if as a twenty five year old in the workplace, the only people you have as your board of directors in your head are other twenty five year olds, right? That, then um, you only have that viewpoint. And it's a good viewpoint, but it's not the only one. Not the only one. Well, I like this idea of having a board of directors in your head and um, you know, people that you can tap, people that you can, you know, and really people you can go to as mentors. And, um, you know, it sounds like that's something that, that if there could be some vehicle to create that, younger people, uh, that maybe wisdom could have a fighting chance at age number eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I have a friend who um, used to say that at about age 50, um, wisdom has a fighting chance, but I think that maybe we could help the, this younger generation move into that earlier. You know, we have more to talk about with Stephen Joseph. Come right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with guest Stephen Joseph today. Now, Stephen, let's talk about your your latest endeavor, Dragons at Work. I love that name. Um, and, and it started out as an innovative online learning project and is um, soon to be and actually will be um, released on Amazon as an online book, right, Kindle book. Yes, yes. Um, very very soon, and so talk about tell us about dragons at work. How did you know? How did this come to be? Well, dragons at work is really this fictionalized case study of a very uptight, overwrought IT executive who is making everybody miserable. But now he, because he thinks he's having heart problems, uh, the VP of HR has um, you know suggested that he gets a coach. And the coach that he gets is a woman who's about 40 years old. She's Chinese. She lives with her uh, Tai Chi master, herbalist uh, grandfather. And uh, she transforms him or helps him transform uh, through giving him uh, a, a lot of technology that really comes from the East that helps him uh, very quickly turn around how he approaches things. And so he, he learns how to calm himself down physically. He learns to stop the sort of relentless mind chatter that's driving him. And um, he ends up dealing with a uh, political enemy inside his company, a guy who wants to get him fired in a very sophisticated and enlightened way. And so uh, that's the story, and, and it's meant to be educational because you can, the reader can learn all the things that our hero learns as he gets coached through all of this. And, um, you know, there's, there's a whole system of that which will be uh, available online, and if people go to stephenjoseph.com, they can find out about that system. Well, so I, I have been some of the chapters of Dragons at Work, and I highly, highly recommend it. It's very entertaining and thought-provoking and provides a lot of insight into why this specific executive does things the way he does them and how he begins to see his world differently. Um, And then there is some very practical application that any of us who are reading this can take away and, and and so, talk to us about this assessment. Well, seven powers profile. Yes, the seven powers profile is one of the things that our hero uh, takes to, uh, so that his coach can understand uh, where he's at. And when I was talking before about building uh, resources in in my research, I've been asking people. Um, particularly lately, heads of HR, by the way, and they have a very specific problem that's kind of unique to them, and I'll I'll get into that in a minute. But I've been asking people um, to tell me about a difficult challenge that they had to meet in some way and what 
personal resources they drew on in order to, to meet that challenge. So I'm not talking about, you know, the, the normal things that are talked about in leadership development uh, because a lot of the things they mentioned were, were things like, uh, you know, physical vitality. You know, just how much juice did they have? Because they, they had to draw on that in spades. And if you're running on empty and you run against the challenge like that, you know, uh, um, that's difficult. So the idea is to make sure that um, physically you're in top condition because I, I think leadership is really, uh, you know, people call it a contact sport and some people call it a, uh, you know, a performance um, uh, art. But one way or the other, you have to be there physically. And emotionally, the other thing, uh, you know, that people talk about is, is to be able to make wise decisions and not get pushed around by some emotional turmoil, particularly, uh, you know, to act wisely when they're being attacked politically. Or another part of it is even to pay attention to the politics inside a corporation because a lot of people think that uh, if they just keep their head down and work away, their work is going to speak for themselves. But in Dragons at Work, we find out that that's not true and someone has the ear of the CEO and is kind of poisoning the CEO against our hero. And, um, you know, so uh, all those kinds of things are really important. And networking again and again and again, turns out to be uh, super important for people. Even if you consider, you know, some people are, are uh, end up doing acting in their job in ways that are less than courageous because they figure, well, you know, I've got a family to feed or I've got right. a mortgage to pay and I don't want to be out there on the street. Uh, people who have great networks uh, know more about how they can get jobs and are more successful at getting jobs and, and therefore become more courageous employees and speak up for the good of the company when they need to. So all these things uh, just kind of popped out of the stories that people told me. And uh, so I created an assessment called the Seven Powers Assessment, which is a way for you to look under the hood and find out uh, really how strong you are. Because when it's high tide and everything is great, um, these weaknesses don't show up. Right. But when the tide is out, uh, then, you know, we see who has bathing suits on and who doesn't, <laughs> whatever, wherever you want to take that metaphor. But um, so I, I got really interested in that. And as I was saying, you know, the time to plant a tree uh, is 20 years ago. Um, best time is now. Uh, so if you find out that, Sleep is not restorative for you, and you don't know how to reliably recharge your energy. Um, you know, that's one thing. Um, it, you can fix that. You can fix all these things, but, but you don't want to fix them when you're in the middle of a, a street fight. <laughs> it's hard to stop and say, could you hold that punch? I, I, I <laughs> yeah. need to go get a little... Or, or as we used to say in Aikido class, smiling, could you come at me slowly with a knife? <laughs> I want to practice this move. I love it. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the whole concept of um, Eastern traditions 
in warfare or simply protecting or defending oneself is very different from the Western tradition. Yeah. The same uh, for the same thing, and and I love in in Aikido, you know, the one of the Aikido moves, and, and it's very much the same in Tai Chi, is to you know kind of get out of the way. Yes. And allow your opponent to hurt himself. Right. And um, you know, you know, they they come flying towards you and step aside, and they end up hitting the wall themselves, and it's like oh. I hope you're not hurt. <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's very yeah. Different. Yeah, I know. That's Oyashiba's thing. I was just thinking about this this morning. You know, that people ask Oyashiba, who is the guy who invented Aikido, is very wonderful martial art and extremely effective when it's done right. And so they asked him, you know, what was the essence of Aikido? And he said it was love. Mm. So how is love the essence of a martial art? Very good. Good question. And Answer. the idea is when someone enters your sphere, and if they're trying to harm you, they're uh, basically, if you're powerful and aware enough, they're not going to be able to do that. And one way or the other, they will be uh, thwarted. And you will thwart them by merging with them first, which is one of the principles of Aikido. And uh, in other words, first you connect with them, and then they, and then you lead them someplace where they are then harmless. And yeah. that's also, uh, you know, when you're leading, you have to connect with people first, yeah. uh, and then lead them someplace that's useful. And so it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of similarity, and and you know, there are people who do great work with Aikido and leadership. To uh, Richard Heckler is one of them. Um, my friend and mentor. Yeah, oh, he's great. So uh, Tom Crum is another one out of Colorado. Yeah. Um, where were we? So being powerful and aware enough, and then leading, um, act with people first. Oh yeah, you Keep know them somewhere useful. I love that. There, there was one. Uh, from Lao Tzu, who's a Chinese philosopher, this is 2,500 years ago, so he said, a good man, before he can help a bad man, finds in himself the matter with the bad man. And then he goes on to say, and whichever teacher discounts this lesson is as far off the road as the other. And so there's, there's a sense of humility about it as well. And then um, there, are, there are other... Lao Tzu has some beautiful sayings. Well, you know, and I think that the whole concept of that I am you, you are me, if I'm looking at you in a, judgment, in a judgmental way, um, there's something in this for me. I need to pay attention to what part of myself needs to be transformed. Um, where's the learning right. for me? And I, I think that's one of the really a powerful trait for leaders. Um, rather than sitting in judgment, uh, they are much more inclusive um, and understanding and compassionate. 
Yeah, you know, the, the, another of Lao Tzu's poems says, um, talks about if you have a, an enemy, a foe, and it goes, uh, as long as there be a foe, value him, respect him, measure him, be humble towards him, let him not strip from you, however strong he be, compassion, the one wealth which can afford him. I love that. So the idea is, uh, and by the way, that is not only on the website, but uh, there's a song. I, I set that to music as song. <laughs> and oh, what's nice about listening to these things as song is that uh, you just kind of remember the lyrics to a song. And, right, right, right. Oh, so it can kind of come back to you when you need it. Oh, I like that. Well, speaking of your website, we only have a couple of minutes left, Stephen. This has been such a delightful conversation, and I believe we could go on for hours and hours. We could. But yes, we can. Um, tell, tell people how they can learn more about you. Well, I think one, one place to go is stephenjoseph.com, and that pretty much will connect you to dragonsatwork.com. Uh, you can go... Uh, to Amazon and look at Leadership Agility and uh, buy that. And uh, there's also Dragons at Work will be available there. And when you go to stephenjosephs.com, you will be able to uh, soon, anyway, take the uh, Seven Powers Assessment and just check under your own hood and find out, you know, how you back up in those seven categories. I love it. Thank you, Stephen, so much for being with us today. It has been enlightening. Well, thank you, Cheryl. It's, It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 